Hey, everybody. You got, got it? it? You got it. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How to Make a Movie When You Don't Know Shit. And today is our guest, Chris Kelly. Uh, a little bit about Chris Kelly. He's the former uh, chief privacy officer of Facebook, um, also the first privacy officer of Facebook I have here, too. He's the executive producer of our film, Once Upon a Time in Queens, which was originally called Last I Heard. He has also executive produced the narrative film Olive and the documentary Euro Dreams, Euro Dreams of Sushi. And has most recently executive produced the limited series The Tent Mender, which we can watch now on IMDb TV. And he also happens to be my brother-in-law. So here he is, oh. everybody. <laughs> Chris Kelly joining us on a Labor Day weekend. I love it. Yeah, it's been a yeah. nice Labor Day so far. Uh, I enjoyed Bottle Rock up in Napa Valley yesterday. Saw the Foo Fighters last night. Um, it's wow, good to how was that? Back again. It was fantastic. Um, yeah. And uh, but having a nice, relaxing Labor Day. I've got the Giants game on in the other room, and uh, as they keep beating the Dodgers, well, though not it's the Rockies today. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like a nice, relaxing weekend. And yeah. um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, you know, we. Uh, Obviously, you know, it's it's always more difficult to interview people that you know, because I know so much, you know, and you've, you've done so much, there's really like literally no way we could cover everything. But I do want to say the thing that has surprised me the most about you is I watched a clip of you doing karaoke, and you can <laughs> sing. <laughs> it's like... You know, I, I, I actually, I, I found, I, I never thought I could sing, but I can tell you that through karaoke during the pandemic, my friend Andrew Burns has been hosting regular karaoke and i've managed to you know kind of i do all right like it's not uh, yeah you know i usually do tom petty um which means that i don't really have to sing right um, but uh but but it you know so there's a there's a margin for error but i've i've been, i've broadened my horizons and experimented with some things that that have worked better than i thought they would so yeah i mean i was watching you do shallow and i was like all right we this is a this is an unknown talent <laughs> and i'm like now i gotta come up there and do karaoke with you i'm excited well, that, was one that i did not think i could pull off and it came out it came it came together much much better than i expected so it was awesome it was great oh. Yeah, so many, many, many. I got my grizzled Bradley Cooper beard, and uh, you're all uh, set. You're right? ready for the remake. <laughs> Bradley Cooper, um, a, a, a great Georgetown grad. So um, yes, yes, he is. Yes, and that's your uh, that's your one of your alma maters there. Um, so what I want to talk about a little bit is um, so on, on some of the earlier podcasts, I talk about how I came to get involved in last I heard and and my original thing was was to act in it and use it as a vehicle for that and uh you know uh the late great Dave Rodriguez is uh is how I got involved I knew Dave from some films he had done with my dad but tell I, us a little I, bit I'm still yeah. stunned that Dave is gone and We're shocked. The work that he did on this uh was just exceptional and it's it's one of those movies that I hope will kind of show up somewhere along the way when somebody kind of gets it and yeah and it turns into one of those fun cult classics I think so too. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to do the podcast, you know, kind of a, you know, to, to honor his memory. Cause this really was his passion project. I mean, yeah. he went on to, to really do every television series in Los Angeles after yeah. this film and just, you know, was a great he director. Was very, but... very successful television series director. You yeah. know, he, he did NCIS and a bunch of different yeah. you know, yeah. series and, and was just a, you know, respected for his craft. And this is sure. a, a work that he put together extraordinarily well with the help of the rest of the crew, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm still stunned that he's gone. 
Yeah, we're all we're all in shock. It's one of those people that you just never. I just had dinner with Paul Ben Victor and Johnny Roast Beef and Lev Gorn, a couple of the guys from the film, and it's just like, it's just like he would be here right now. He would be at Ray. I was like, this would, you know, it just seems so. It would be a, an incredibly fun addition to this podcast. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, so, um, so, tell us a little bit about like what you remember uh, from that time. I mean, I think we had met. A couple of times I had come up to Sundance and met you for the very first time. Kevin and I were still dating. We were not engaged or married or any of that. And um, and I guess it was Kevin, obviously, that brought it to you. But what was sort of your experience from the beginning? Well, I had done Jiro already. And mm -hmm. um, and, and I had looked at, at, at a number of different narrative films. And I think that I had already started with Olive. And mm -hmm. you know, the, the most notable thing about Olive, of course, was that the first full-length feature shot entirely on cell phone cameras. Um, Amazing. Where can people see that? Where, where can uh, people so watch it's all? It's still available. Clips of it are still available at allofthemovie.com. Okay. Um, but uh, Human, uh, who I do the Fandor Festival podcast with now, mm -hmm. uh, and I had put that together. It was all Human's, you know, writing, doing, and, and a guy named Pat Gillis, uh, who's a good guy up, uh, up operates up in Marin County, and uh, we had had shot that, put it together. So I, I was I was looking for another project, and and mm -hmm. Kevin brought this to me, and I said, okay, we we can figure out how to do it on a we can figure out how to do it on a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. um, then then I can help finance it and help sort of with some connections and and yeah. um and, and putting it all together. Yeah. Um, and when the with the attachment of of Paul Servino and Michael mm -hmm. Rappaport and some of the other kind of you know folks who are pseudo i mean my, you know uh, you know uh paul servino is a real star uh yeah. is actually a real star too it's just yeah. that it was funny uh i when when they finally they said you know hey we got michael rapaport i'm like who's that and then they showed me the picture i'm like oh that guy <laughs> <laughs> yes and it's funny because uh you know on twitter he's uh, he shows up in my twitter feed all the time talking about the knicks and basketball and things like that yeah. but that, that's the you know the other one of the other thing that I spent a fair amount of my time on is basketball, as you know. So um, it's yeah. a, it's a, it, and, and, you know, I had confidence that, that, that you and Kevin would pull things together and, um, uh, and, and it, it came together quite nicely, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I mean, for the fact that we shot it, you know, eight, I think it was 18 days in New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was a fair amount of, you know, locations and things to, to be put together. But um but yeah, I remember, uh, I think you came to set one day when we were shooting in Juniper Park. Yep. In and Queens. With you, so we had the park the park scene and then the, the, the lead up to the kind of, you know, crescendo at the end. And, um, yeah. uh, and it, was, it was fascinating to see. It was pretty uh, intense, yeah. yeah. And yeah. As, much as, as much as Kevin and I did stuff on it, it really was, uh, it really was Dave, you know, that, that had, he had worked with this crew multiple times, which is, you know, as I'm sure, you know, is so important. The crew is just everything, you know, the, the fact that they knew exactly what he wanted, how to do it, how to do it in a timely fashion. And, and he just had, you know, as far as acting goes, he had everybody sort of in the right roles. So everybody no, could he, just, he, he did. No, he definitely. Yeah. So everybody could just sort of do that. And, um, so then after the film was done, what was the first cut that you, did you see early cuts of it or did you see? Yeah, I saw early cuts yeah. and, and, yeah. You know, and I had, I had gotten used to seeing some of that both from Olive and from, uh, I think that we'd had the Olive stuff, but from Jiro especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jiro for, for what became a incredibly critically acclaimed film that's been unbelievably yeah. influential in the documentary circuits. It, it didn't really come together till the end. Um, yeah. the, the cut that got presented at Tribeca 
was the first exceptional one. <laughs> yes. So it, it sort of meandered a little bit and Brandon and David were able to really kind of get it into shape. So I didn't, I knew in early cuts that, that there was, there were going to be rough edges, um, uh, no question about it. Um, but then yeah. you know, as it, as it, as it developed and, you know, Dave always had a firm hand on it and, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that it was pretty clear that it was going to come together well. And, yeah. and it did. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think that the, you know, the Seattle premiere that we were able to get, um, yeah, you know, that was great. Got a little bit of exposure and that was fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, 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 I had hoped that it would get more um, notice uh, than, yeah. than it really did, but um, yeah. sometimes, sometimes you never know with those things. You just, you just never know. And I think that, I think, I think now, especially with the um, subject matter of the, of the film, I think yeah. now even more so than, than before, um, it's just very poignant. You know, it's just, you know, learning to deal with, because I think one of the major themes of the movie for me is, is how love really, you know, the father's love for the daughter uh, and, and having the support of a neighborhood and a family and, and dealing with, you know, his own prejudice, racism, right. all those things, you know, and sort of overcoming that, that love really changes your perception of everything. You know, it's like, you know, you, you look and at family, things one way. Yeah how family means family. Like it's, yeah. it's a, you know, you, you have, you have to overcome uh, ideas that you have to support the people who are your people. And yes. that's, you know, and that's where, you know, the, I, I do hope the movie will get noticed for that um, uh, over yeah. time. And yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, the media business, the movie business has been going through unbelievable change. Yeah. Um, there will be a number of kind of diamonds in the rough that are discovered mm -hmm over time as the discovery engines get better and as and as word of mouth gets amplified through social and other things um that, that mm -hmm. you, you have to have a few champions out there and then once they're out there you know things can take off like wildfire yeah that's that's what i feel um people that that did come to see it i mean even my friends you know came to see it in la when we premiered it over at uh, the lemley and then when we had holly shorts um a lot of people were like wow this was really good like yeah, just exactly. sort of right they didn't expect you know and i yeah it's know, like I, i'm gonna go see my friend's movie and yeah. <laughs> and you know because i because they're my friend and yeah. um you know and then you're like oh yeah it's a good movie <laughs> yeah. yeah my one girlfriend was like weeping she was like wow i had no idea you know what i was coming in to so, see so, you know so don't tell kevin but the first time that i that i went to see him as peter pan um, in, 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 you know, kind of childy child theater. I actually have told him the story, but yeah. um, I was like, okay, so I got to go. Cause it's my brother. And, and then yeah. I was like, he's actually pretty good. Like, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the closer you are to somebody and then when you see yeah. them in their, you know, environment, it's like, I've had that happen with, you know, people that like do my nails or whatever. And then they come see me do stand up. They're like, oh my God, I didn't realize you were funny. You're not funny at all I when still, I do your nails. I, still, I mean, I've seen clips of you doing stand-up, yeah. but I still haven't seen live, which is a total Yeah, you got to come live. Yeah, for sure. Well, now that we're starting yeah. to come back. But it was so funny. She's just like, you don't, you're, you're never funny when I do your nails. Like, oh, well, what's funny about doing my nails? <laughs> like, I'm not. Oh, there's a lot you, <laughs> you can mind there. Yeah, and then most <laughs> comics are not like, uh, they're usually not really funny in real life. Like, not that they're not funny, but they're usually like, more like subdued and quiet and uh, they're very observant that's really what what comics are is observant more than like 
sort of the hams at the parties and stuff. So people are always surprised by that. But um, when I saw the first cut of the film, I I mean, you had a better eye than I did because I was like, uh-oh. Like when I saw the first cut, I was like, this is really slow. Like we gotta, but, but over time I got to see like, oh, more cuts and more adjustments. And it just got, it got better and better. And I think you and I had that experience. Maybe it was at Holly Shorts where you're like, wow, this film yeah. keeps getting better every time, every time I see it. So you're somebody for me that always, I just respect you so much. And I, you have, you, you always like have your finger on the pulse of like what's coming next. What are some of the things that you think are going to change with, you know, with movies, with theater, with, uh, you know, going forward now? Well, I mean, the, the, the kind of video gaming of the world is continuing in a, in a really big way. And, and, mm -hmm. I, and I think that that will include music and movies too, mm -hmm. where a lot of this, these things will happen in what will become you know, this metaverse that people are starting to talk about. I mm -hmm. think it's gonna take some time for that. Um, I do think, unfortunately, that COVID is probably accelerated. It, it's, it's good in the long run that it's accelerated what was an inevitable transformation in theatrical distribution of movies. And mm -hmm. as you know, I've experimented with a number of different uh, plays in that, in that field, both in terms of having the streaming service Fandor, which you know, we had to put into reorganization, but Synodyme now controls, and I'm working with them again mm -hmm. uh, on growing that brand and some of the other brands that they have with the Fandor Festival podcast and some other things. And, uh, and then with MoviePass, um, where mm -hmm. I always believed that theatrical distribution and sitting in the large room together with people um, is a great experience that should not sure. um, right. The way that uh, all of the major chains have become real estate plays, the kind of over screening of all of the multiplexes, the, the business model of that was destroyed and until... <laughs> until you know amc and some of the other things have become kind of reddit stonks um and and they've been able to survive longer than they would have otherwise because of financial engineering that that that, that some of these companies can do for now um mm -hmm. the ultimate change and the ultimate sort of you know ruling of the consumer when they hear about these things and the compression of you know awareness and marketing campaigns leading to film release and finalization um, it, it's compressing, no question about it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, day and day releases are, are still going to be few and far between on major movies because of, um, you know, because of the, there's still some power in windowing that the studios exercise aggressively right. on the big Marvel movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, that and this mm -hmm. fight over Black Widow and Scarlett Johansson and her compensation is going yeah. to drive, I think, a reasonable compromise eventually between kind of movie star talent and the agencies and the studios um, mm -hmm. about how that compression works, but it does not go away in, in its entirety. Um, mm. But for films like Last I Heard or, or, or like Jero or things like that, day and date is going to become the coin of the realm very quickly. And you want to have a mm. compression of all of your marketing, your awareness marketing on social and other places, be able to drive you to an instant streaming of the film so that yes. it can enter the cultural zeitgeist. Um, yeah. so you're not expecting to make, you know, say $50 million are up box office, everything below that is going to need to go day and date uh, eventually. Mm. Um, mm. The, the big budgets will drive the aggressive windowing, the, you know, theatrical promotion, the, in, in, you know, including all those things, but, you know, everything else will go to instant availability 
um, awareness campaigns that are compressed and that are focused on social and things mm. like that. But but I, I also do think that you'll see a virtualization of some of these watch parties. You know, Facebook mm. has tried to do this and it's it's just not time yet. But mm-hmm. um, the, the idea of getting together with your friends, you know, o- over time, and sometimes it'll be strapping on an Oculus headset. Sometimes it'll be just kind of sitting in your living room um, and watching something together so it can be discussed together. I do yes. think that's going to be a, a more normalized behavior um, yeah. over the next five years. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I really see that too, because I think people are, you know, with the growth of podcasts and even the the clubhouse and those kinds of things, more and more people like to discuss what they've watched, you know, right. it's, it's, and, and, and more people are becoming, you know, sort of like armchair experts, you know, well, in it's, film it's, and yeah. It's cultural signaling and, 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 mm-hmm. and it's available to everybody now through Twitter and Facebook and yep. Instagram, um, yep. you know, from a visual perspective, yes. um, Snapchat and, and, and on all yes. the others that you can think about how you connect with people around you. Um, yes. you know, my Twitter feed today is 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 full of the you know sort of you know proper respect for Michael Williams who unfortunately passed yes. away yesterday. Uh, yeah, um, great you know, loss. Great love for his you know roles as as Omar, but all the other ones too. I mean, the, the amazing Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, really made him, but uh, but yeah, he's just an incredible actor who showed up in the very very talented. Time. Yeah. Very talented. So with Fandor, uh, was the goal to have it be similar to uh, a Netflix or, a, you know, Amazon yeah, where you stream? A, a, you know, in, independent film Netflix was always the, the, the goal there. Okay. And I think we probably hit the market a little bit too early and mm. probably, you know, weren't as capital efficient as we should have been early on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but needed to spend on branding. And we actually sort of built up, I think, quite a powerful brand at the end of the day, which was one of the reasons that it survived the reorganization process and that's yes. to pick it up um, and, and operate it again um, mm-hmm. you know, as, a, as a brand and to, and to fit it in with the number of the other brands that they were, um, that they were you know, acquiring and operating. Um, mm-hmm. So when they, when they did that, um, I had actually been working with a group that was working to kind of take it out of the reorg and, and reconstitute it. Mm-hmm. Um, another group, but when they when the when the Synodyne bid was able to kind of sneak in there and get accepted, um, you know they they came to me and said, "Hey, no, no, we want to work with you." And I and I said, "Yeah, you know, like I, I'm a believer in the in the project, uh, yeah. even, even if I, you know, and we, we have to talk about my taking a financial interest in it again, right. but uh, um, but uh, uh, you know I, I definitely want it to survive and thrive." Yeah, and would you uh, is the goal to do original content on there as well? I think that there will be more and more original content. Well, I always saw when I was running Fandor, I always saw it as um, uh, the the original content would be short form about movies, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know made for social, digestible, um, five minutes or less video essays and things like that um, that mm-hmm. that would capture the you know that 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 thrill that people get from l- l- you know longer films. And the story arc that works in longer films, but but getting into more bite-sized pieces and, and have a, like yeah. an appetite for it in social. Um, yeah. And I think that they're, they're definitely moving back to that. So Keyframe, which was our key kind of daily video essay provider at Fandor, Keyframe is about to be relaunched. The podcast Great. is part of this. And we're not doing the podcast every day, but we're doing you know, a couple a week um, yeah. because we wanted to keep them short. One of the things that I found about podcasts, I think sustainably over time, most podcasts shouldn't go more than, than 15 minutes. Um, and, yeah. you know, and the, you know, this is a, this is an exception here. Right. Um, but 
you know, it, when you're when you're exploring particular subjects and, and the way that a lot of the podcasts launch originally when they're, you know, deep, deep dives into true crime pieces and splitting mm-hmm. them up into five, you know, stories and then and then taking that same format. And, you know, I mean, Netflix is doing that in video essays now um, mm-hmm. uh, effectively. But, um, you know, like there there are some things that fit well in that format. And then there but most podcasts that are discussion podcasts you shouldn't be longer than 15 minutes. And that's mostly what we're doing with the Fandor Festival podcast. So that that's your time frame now? Yeah. Um, so yeah. we've gone, I think that out of, I think we've done probably, uh, we put, I think probably about 12 or 14 in the can at this point. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of them went more than 30 minutes. Okay. And then with the, uh, with- and They with can be a varied lengths and that's, I mean, it doesn't- yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you on the shorter podcast. It's, it's interesting because it, when it first started, when I first started listening to podcasts, it was like Joe Rogan and it was like two hours long, you know, and uh, and then, you know, and then my podcast would go like the first podcast that I did, Andrea Town was like an hour, an hour and a half. And then you realize that in order to get people to really listen, to really hear you know, uh, it, it's better that it's shorter. People can just yeah. pop on, they can listen to, because there's just, what I find overwhelming is there's just so much content right now. And right. I want to listen to everything. You only and have so much time. And that's, you only have that's so much the, time. the thing that, that all content providers and, and media companies that aggregate content and try to, you know, make sure that they can make it profitably mm-hmm. um, have, to, have to know and learn that, that there is a limit in, in all of these cases. Uh, do you and, think that'll that'll and, spill over into films as well films and television do you think so, it'll start getting shorter interestingly enough i don't because mm. the the narrative arc the like settling in on this sort of 90 minute to two hour thing for films i think is just much more a natural constraint about how humans expect storytelling to work yeah um, I, you know i i i i thought otherwise earlier but the more mm-hmm. that i've seen over the years when you think about when you really kind of set down and settle into something. Um, you know, it takes at least 90 minutes to get a good story arc done that mm-hmm. fits yeah. reasonably well together. And you've seen that get broken by the block, some of the blockbusters. I mean, the Marvel mm-hmm. movie is three hours long and they're, they're just got so much to pack in, so many explosions. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and look, I, I actually like, I, I like blockbusters still. Yeah, like, I, I do too. I don't have anything yeah. in particular against them. Um, you know, my, my, you know general speed is a lot more kind of dark and indie and you know more challenging mm-hmm. storytelling and fandor was also meant to be like a you know make a statement about that is that yes with increased availability through the internet and through streaming that the, the the audience for that could be aggregated in a much more effective fashion and i do think that'll be proven out over time you know by you know, synodized yeah. in this space and by a number of different players in this space. And I've talked to some of the, even when the bigger, some of the bigger players, um, you know, Warner Media had uh, Filmstruck for a while, which was kind of a copycat of Fandor. And mm-hmm. um, in my discussions with some, you know, more senior Warner Media folks, when they, when they killed that, they're like, that, that was one of the biggest mistakes we made. Um, mm. that, that are, if you're thinking about how you segment audience over time, that, that was a very valuable audience. Um, that the, that they could have tried to hang on to, and I, I mean, from I'm I'm glad they didn't. And we actually thought that when Filmstruck got got axed, that that was going to be the salvation of Fandor. But we had, you know, mm-hmm. some bad financial structure um, that had been driven by a whole bunch of bad reasons um, mm-hmm. uh, that that just wasn't we weren't able to overcome. So we had to put it into a reorg. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just was on Fandor the other day because I had to watch uh, The Watermelon Woman for a class I'm taking. And it's like, you know, that's where you find those those, yep. those movies because like that's, indie, and that's exactly you know. what it's what it's supposed to be and we you know, we had great plans to sort of you know have cheap film school access across the world yeah. and these different things which i think a lot of things that synodyne will probably end up doing that'll probably go that way so tell me a little bit about tent mender uh and and how you got involved in that and, and it's on imdb tv imdb tv so mm-hmm. uh streaming for free um okay. and this is one uh, i've been fascinated with purpose-based content and the mm-hmm. storytelling for social change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, with a part in a partnership with Tom Sebastian and a, a young woman filmmaker named Laura Hand, who put this all together, um, we wanted to make a kind of great story about the people on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And so right. it's, it's a, you know, it's focused on, you know, three main characters and a, and a few ancillary characters who are fascinating. Um, and then stories of of you know, some of its addiction and redemption, and some of its mm-hmm. the, you know just the the daily challenges that they faced, and how they've ended up uh, on the streets. And the tent mender is a fictional character, but somebody who had been an addict um, who come back, voiced by Peter Coyote. So we have a very interesting um, you know sort of classic voice uh, yeah. covering all of this. And uh, but the but the 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 subjects are real, and they're mm-hmm. fascinating. And uh, so Laura put this together um, with Tom's help and we enlisted Procter and Gamble um, from the start because we wanted there to be a project that was part of this that would benefit the Midnight Mission and these people who were in. And so the Tide brand ended up rebuilding the laundry room um, uh, at the Midnight Mission and and sort of refurbishing everything. And that was part of the story. And we wanted to, as part of the storytelling, we wanted to make sure that that happened and then we've also, um, you know, used this as a, you know, as a, as a vehicle to raise money for the Midnight Mission. And Amazing. Yeah. And, and because it's an Amazon project, there is an Amazon Smile option to, mm. you know, to donate supplies to the Midnight Mission. And uh, that's Amazon. great. So, and then yeah. when you, fi- when you finished it, was there talk about where you would put it or? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and a bunch of different conversations with some of the major players with the Netflixes and the, and, you know, and we talked with some of the other kind of new streamers and, and, and things like that. But, but Amazon was the most natural place to put it and then figuring out which Amazon brand it fits in. So it is available, even though it's IMDb TV on Prime Video on all of your Apple TVs and everything else. If you just search for the tent vendor, it does come up and, and it's You can and it's watch available. it on that. And then how do you think, because I know you're involved for yeah. free. And yeah. it's really good. It's really just a very hard. It's, it's I mean, obviously, Laura, Laura did very a emotional. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very emotional and very and very informative as well. You know, for people that don't really know, you know, and, and exactly and the, the separation that um, that so many people have from what's driving the homelessness, uh, you know, sort of epidemic in California in particular, but 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 around the world in a number of different ways. Um, it, in in the the the, the loss of empathy that, that so many people have for those who've ended up in these situations um, is something that we really wanted to counter. And, and I think that, I mean, Laura humanizes uh, these people and, and, and really shows, shows their struggles. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. 100%. I think that that's something that you're absolutely right. There has been a sort of a, a coldness that I've, I've seen people start to uh, project towards the 
towards the homeless population. You know, people are just fed up. And, you know, and so I think um, I think it was really right. timely. And, you know? and ultimately, the goal for us is to drive social action that makes a difference. And that was why, right. you know, including the refurbishment of the laundry room and the importance of just clean clothes to people's dignity and their comfort. Um, yes. You know, like we wanted to make a difference as part of the filming. Um, yeah. And then we wanted to hopefully catalyze future social action. And we, our group will be working together on, on, on you know, future projects that have great. kind of impact and social mission. And, you know, Procter & Gamble will be backing, um, you know, for, further projects in this area that we're in discussion. That's great. That's yeah. great. And, you know, especially in the pandemic, what has happened to people with addiction issues and with homeless, homelessness and people that who weren't homeless before who now are facing that, you know, just based on this pandemic that everybody's been through. So, um, so it's great. Um, so I know you're, you're involved in Sundance um, and, you know, I've gotten to go up there a couple of times and, and experience that. What, uh, how do you see things changing in the festival circuit um, with regard to what's happened in the world and with, with what's happening in film now? Well, I mean, Sundance, unfortunately, is losing the best executive director that they ever had in Carrie Putnam. Um, mm. you know, as, as, as her, you know, she's put in more than 10 years and done an unbelievable job for the Institute and, you know, has been, uh, sort of putting out the, the idea that, that, that she was nearing the end of her term, uh, for quite some time and then formally announced it a few months ago and then actually rotated off, um, I think a, a couple of weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that they will find an excellent replacement. Um, but that's going to be very hard for them. I think that w- with the COVID challenge that that all festivals have had, um, people are going to want to get together again and watch great movies mm-hmm. um, and talk about great movies. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that Sundance this next year, uh, assuming that the Delta variant has not sort of overtaken us in a in a mm-hmm. meaningful way. And, I, and look, I, I've been ecstatic that you know, in a, in a heavily vaxxed set of areas that, that most things are still being carried off. Like I said, I was at Bottle Rock yesterday in mm-hmm. Napa, um, which had a vax requirement on the way in. And I think that you're mm-hmm. going to see that. Um, more I think that more. most film festivals go to vax requirements for indoor mm-hmm. screenings. Sure, um, sure. As and, theaters will. And yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's absolutely the right move is that you know, mass vaccination is the only answer to shut this down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been true all along. And, you know, those who fight the science, you know, there's not too many in the in the kind of, you know, funkier film community who who, right. who aren't actually science oriented. Right. <laughs> but there are some. And yeah. so you still have to explain that. No, no, we, we believe in science here and that and science is vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I but I think that that yearning and that frustration about, you know, a, losing a, a 18 months or a couple of years to you know, this, you know, this awful, awful experience because, mm-hmm. you know, because we didn't handle it right in the first place is the most frustrating right. part of that. Right. Uh, it, 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 people are feeling that. And, and I, I see it whenever I've gone to these events that are, that are carrying off with vax mandates and otherwise that the people are just, they're itching to get out there and experience music and film and, you know, and yeah. all sorts of great camaraderie with people um, yes, there's a longing for that. So, so you think it'll it'll come back in a safer way, but but we'll still be. Yeah, I think you're. I mean, you're going to see mask requirements. You're going to see mask requirements, mm-hmm. and you know, people should just suck it up and behave. <laughs> right, <laughs> and just do it so we can experience all that again. 
Where do you, um, where do you get your news from when you get up? Like what, cause there's obviously so much that you have to, I mean, you're, you're involved in so many different areas of news of the world. I mean, so, so, so much of it is social. I mean, from Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter and, um, right. but I rely on them as my filtering mechanisms for the things that I look at. And then I, you know, I, I, I participate in the news and technology in a number of different ways. And so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, pay attention to tech meme and some of the other, um, you know, plays in that space. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm busy right now closing a fund that's focused on a new fund that's focused on investments in artificial intelligence and quantum computing um, mm-hmm. with, uh, with some with some friends and partners. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, taking my experiments in the in the in the crypto community um, to a lot more active uh, plays with some of the political fights that have come up lately around crypto. Uh, mm. One of my companies in particular called Alchemy, um, mm-hmm. a couple of kids out of Stanford who've done amazing work mm-hmm. and they've, they've built the, you know, Business Insider describes it as the number one company in crypto. Um, it's developer tools for the Ethereum blockchain and I'm spending more and more time with them. Wow. Um, wow. And so get a bunch of different news from, you know, Twitter is the best filter for, for that yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, because you can look at what you want to look at and, and, and also get the, a little bit of everything. You know, and I, and I even encounter a whole bunch of my former colleagues, some of whom are still at Facebook on Twitter now, uh, <laughs> in, 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 a, in a number of these contexts. You know, Facebook is still quite yeah. good for, um, mm-hmm. you know, for for getting information when your when your feed is tuned. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, right. and it's not that I don't use Facebook, but uh, but Twitter is the kind of real time piece of this, and it's tied into the traditional media in a way that that a lot of the traditional media is turned against Facebook, and so mm-hmm. you'll see less flow of that into the Facebook ecosystem. Interesting. What do you think caused that? Was that sort of the privacy stuff? I mean, that... some, of it's not, it's, some of it's just competition. It's that they, they mm-hmm. fear Facebook more than they fear Twitter. And so they don't mm-hmm. want to be feeding their content into that infrastructure. Um, and uh, and, you know, and that's, that's colored the coverage from the beginning. Um, right. And, and, the, and there, you know, there's an attitude that, about both of them, but, but Twitter never has been as good at monetizing as Facebook has been. Mm-hmm. And so they're resented less um, mm. by, by the mainstream media. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, what is, I mean, you've obviously done so many things. Is there an area or something that you've never tapped into that you feel like is in your future? Huh. You know, I, 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 I mean, I feel really blessed because I've gotten to experiment in a lot of different areas and learned a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything that's kind of missing for me right now. And, and I would mostly say not really. Like right. I, I get to touch on sports. The sports, and, yeah. You know, and, and uh, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of, you know, I think kind of, you know, learning cultures that, I, that mm-hmm. I've been able to, to connect with. And that's why I like, the you know the, the the content industry so much mm-hmm. is that there's a, there's a, a, a an expectation of constant learning um, that yes. I feel very very comfortable with and I want to expose my kids to and that that you know like yeah. the, it's a good way to to you know a good way to spend time uh, we've only got a limited amount of time um, on this earth uh, and you know I, I want to make the most of it and there's a lot to do and a lot to see yeah yeah so, and and of course I didn't really mention politics which I you know, dabbled in awesome. from time to time and, and still feel like I'm connected to in, in, a, in a meaningful way for me. And, mm-hmm. and with the, particularly with the re-engagement on some of the crypto stuff, trying to make sure that well-intentioned friends of mine whose values I generally share don't make mistakes that harm innovation 
um, mm. and there's been a significant risk of that lately um, with you know good friends in the White House and the Treasury Department um, mm -hmm. not understanding the the long-term value of crypto and the way that it's operating. Um, mm. And so, uh, as a you know, trusted party with who's been doing politics and business with some of them for 30 years, you know, Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, and I, we worked together in Clinton '92. But he, when he's not working for Joe Biden or some other Democratic politician, you know, he's been working for Steve Case, the founder of AOL, and right. so you know, in Revolution, uh, of the venture firm in in D.C. that Steve Case and Ted Leonsis, who owns the Wizards, um, as former AOL executive, are, are are part of. So Ron's been in those circles too. And you know has a as a as a, a read for this, but he's hearing a lot from you know other friends of ours in the Treasury Department right now who are saying, well, we've got to crack down on this stuff because there's too many scams, and there are some scams in crypto. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. But but at its core, it's about you know it's about distributing trust in a way that and having you know sort of transactions that 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 can be cryptographically proven out that don't mm -hmm. need. You know traditional intermediaries, and that's a it's a scary thing, but it's also an incredibly important thing that shouldn't be stifled. So you so you understand the fears that people have about it, but you're passionate about sort of about figuring helping out them. Make, yeah. capture the innovation in the space. Right. And the same thing about the internet, and, and the same mm -hmm. thing about Facebook as as the next layer on the internet, as an identity layer that 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 you know that sort of fit over everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know that that I mean the terrifying, awful things that happen when you interconnect the world. Um, terrorists can talk together more more easily, like and, pl and plot, you know, awful, awful, destructive things. But yeah. you know, there's so many benefits that overwhelm them, and you have to figure out how your systems adapt to the misuse of those systems. And and you right. know, arguably, you know, a lot of people have gone after Facebook for not doing that so well. And and I think that there are some legitimate criticisms. Mm -hmm. um, but 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 I think that everybody's heart is in the right place over there. Um, you know, trying. Yeah. Trying to get there and 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 you know and and, and improve things, um, but it's it's like with anything, right? It's not about shutting it down. It's about learning from where the mistakes were and then building, rebuilding, and growing. But the, but the problem in a regulatory environment is that that often people jump to a ban or to a a, a you know a, a, a restriction that they don't understand is going to kill things. So mm -hmm. this last fight that we've had in crypto has been about uh, the the IRS regulations about who's a broker. Um, mm. And and what the the Treasury Department is trying to maintain these, you know, expansive definitions of a broker, and they say, well, we won't use it. But it was like, well, then why are you asking for it if you want? You know, like let's let's talk about what we're really talking about. And then some of the fixes that were proposed were not well thought out, uh, and that they would exempt you know Bitcoin miners, but not Ethereum miners, and like all these things that were just a mess. Wow. The wow. whole thing needed to be rethought. There was actually a really good dialogue in the Senate about this between a bipartisan dialogue with Ron Wyden on, you know, on the, the side of the, the kind of Democratic, uh, 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 you know, innovators. Um, you know, Mark Warner, who's usually uh, pretty innovative, uh, you know, mostly backing the Treasury Department in a way that was a little bit dismaying to me. And then Cynthia Lummis, the senator from Wyoming, who's very sophisticated on crypto, um, I don't agree with her much on much else, but um, she's very sophisticated <laughs> on crypto, um, taking a major role in hammering things out and, and getting things better. And a compromise was reached that, that everyone was reasonably happy with. And then it, it required unanimous consent because of the rules of the Senate and for pork reasons, um, uh, 
Senator Shelby from Alabama blew it up. It only took one senator to blow it up. And, and they were they had hopes that it would get unanimous consent and Shelby blew it up because he didn't get 50 billion for um, more defense <laughs> contracts in, in Alabama. Wow. Yeah, wow, a that's, yeah, that's, that's a bummer. But anyway, in the, the House, and Eshu, who's our congressman here in Silicon Valley, and, and Zolofgren, who's also an incredibly smart congresswoman from San Jose, um, they've been aggressive in, in presenting to Nancy, they're quite close with Nancy Pelosi, uh, presenting mm -hmm. to her how this needs to get fixed in the House, even though it might not be in the infrastructure bill. That's exciting, anyway, though. That's I, exciting I, I get my muscles in, in, in that area again. and. Um, that's great. It kind of all works together. I mean, you know so much in so many different spaces, you know. Um, a question I get a lot from people, um, especially after we made this movie, was um, how did you get financing, you know, and, and, and what and what is that what does that you know look like and how do you do it? I, well, I don't I said, well, I, don't, like, I, I mean, definitely like, don't know. I, mean, I, I I was able to write a check. <laughs> it's only right. the most fancy was and because right. I because I believed in the project, um, right. you know, uh, and and, yeah, and you know thought that we could do reasonably well in terms mm -hmm. of return. And you know, look, it didn't work out financially in its first instantiation, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like these, those things happen too. But um, it's a property, and it's and it's made. Yeah, it's a property that sits out there, and it's a and it's can a, exactly in the way that those licensing, you know, when you when you sell it to a distributor you're not really selling it you're leasing mm -hmm. it for a long period of time right. and it reverts and there's all sorts of things that we can do with it on the other end i think eventually it'll probably be profitable not a lot but that's okay right but something will happen and and then one thing leads to another thing but right. for people that are out there that are you know like have a film or have something that they want to do a project what do you think is the is the advice that you can give i mean what i always tell people is you you sort of have to know before you uh, go after uh, an investor, um, you know, how, how is this person going to make their money back? And I think a lot of times with artists, they don't even think that far. They just think right. all we got to do is just get the money. It's like, you well, money yeah, but it's all good. It's like, no, no, no. The money's supposed to come back to the investor, right? <laughs> right. Right. So that's like the, that's like the bare minimum is kind of understanding how they would get a return and, and what it would be. But do you have any advice for people that are making films or going in that direction, or even investors, people that I mean, are that are thinking a lot about of it, A lot of it is track record. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then a lot of it is also kind of star attachment or you know sure. pseudo star attachment or up and comer, mm -hmm. or, you know, like believing in a couple of the cast members in particular, or believing in a script or the you know, the writer or the director, like all of those things play pretty significantly in, you know, in the financiers, you know. Uh, Decision-making of, yeah, of um, whether they're gonna put it in there or not. And being able to identify folks who write checks for these things and who want to mm -hmm. be in business is a significant part of, of, of all of that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so finding those places to mind, I, I do think that there will be some efforts to um, to make some of uh, film finance a little bit more um, regularized. Um, mm -hmm. That there will be folks who do like for big movies that that there were a, a variety of, of banks and 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 financial players and hedge funds who would mm -hmm. do plate vehicles uh, for multiple mm -hmm. films. You know, usually with kind of proven out IP sequels. Usually, um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think that you'll see some experiment on smaller dollars in that space. And I've had a few conversations with a few people about um, doing that. And we, we, a couple of us may, may step up and, and set up, you know, sort of maybe five or $10 million funds that mm -hmm. are effective fund finance movies that are made for less than a million bucks. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that, that should be able to have a, they should be tracked 
to a, a likely return, either a sale to a distributor who likes those type of movies, or mm -hmm. um, or a you know a, a, an innovative plan to um, you know to 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 do it with streaming or or, or other options. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a lot of opportunity, I think, for people to start to come together in a producing sense to where they can open up some doors and then you, you know, like kind of collaborate with creatives in a way to where everybody can sort of make money and 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 move their projects forward. But I think uh, I think there's a lack of knowledge. I think really yeah. that's that's a big part of it is that people don't really know. I don't know if it's just needs to be taught more on a a school level where people, you know, go to film school and actually learn more about actually, you know, that I, part I of it. I think that that, 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 the understanding the financial markets for film finance should be part of film school. No question. About it. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, anyway. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Um, you were, you were really the angel behind this in, entire film because we, you know, we, as we talked about in length in other podcasts, you know, uh, we got there and, you know, as happens, the other half fell out and we were right. at that spot. We're like, what do we do? You know, and, and you were, you know, uh, able to come forward and, uh, and, 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 you know, finance the film and, and, uh, and create this project. And I, I really do think that it does belong on a streaming service where people can easily see it. There's a big part of like, just being able to see it, like with your film, The Tent Mender, where people can watch it for free. And, um, you know, so I think that's, hopefully uh what will happen in the future but um but yeah I, and you and dave shared the same birthday which was so ironic too i remember that, I remember that well and, and yeah i just I, I i and i remember him very fondly um yeah. yes yes as we all do so thank you so much for doing that for doing the podcast today and for all your help with this film and uh good to see you excellent good to see you too all right cool and good luck with your podcast Thanks so much. Well, yeah. So Fander Festival podcast um, yes. you know, on Apple, on Spotify, you know, you can find it wherever. YouTube, right? And YouTube, YouTube. as well. So right. yeah, we do do video. So we shoot video in this room um, with my Lucha Libre guys and, and in the <laughs> background with me and Human and Bryn, um, who's who we, we've, we've, uh, we're borrowing right now um, from, uh, from the Alice Morning Radio Show uh, in San Francisco that, that Human used to be on the Sarah and Vinny show. So uh, oh, that's Bryn, great. It's been a, a godsend as a producer um, and help, it's helped me put together a, a pretty nice little podcasting studio here. No, it's great. It sounds great. You guys look great and, and you have great guests. It's really interesting. I've watched a couple of episodes. You have my friend Godfrey on. Godfrey is a lot of fun. Hilarious. So, and he's going to be in Sacramento um, uh, at the beginning of the season. So uh, I'm going to try oh, okay. to get, get, get a game in with him. Uh, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. He's a Kings fan. Yeah, he's not a Kings fan. Uh, he, in, in fact, on the on the podcast, he 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 thought that the, he thought that we were talking about the hockey Kings first. So <laughs> the LA Kings, yeah. But uh, but he's a, he's a good dude, and it was a, it was a hilarious it was a hilarious conversation with him. Yeah, so. it was really funny. It was a, it was a good episode. All right, so everybody can check that out. And uh, anything else you want to promote or talk about? Tent Ender on IMDb well, yeah, TV Tent or Amazon IMDb and uh, IMDb TV, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and just uh, find ways to engage in your local community. Find ways to support your local filmmaker. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, so that they can get those messages out there. Um, thanks so much. Great seeing you. All right. Bye.